0: The scripture reading for today comes out of Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 through 26. It can be found on pages 4 in the red Bibles provided for you. Please stand and honor God's word with me. Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael was the father of Methushael. And Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and the flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged 70 times, then Lamech 77 times. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to, men began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Well, I gave Abby an easy passage today. <laughs> Abby did great. Abby's been one of our uh, student ministry summer interns this summer, and we say goodbye to them uh, this Sunday. They've all been. Working hard at uh, making our summer program, the outlet, and our mission trips happen. Thank you, Abby, and other summer interns for all you've done. Our children's ministry interns, too, over there. And so we thought we'd make it easy on her and make her read those verses today. To be honest, when I saw those verses, when I saw the preaching plan that had been put together months ago, and I read through that, I thought, really, Travis? This is what I have to preach on And uh, they're not only hard verses to uh, say and hard names to pronounce, but to be honest, there's some really tough content in here. And in the first service, I realized that I felt sort of this tension with the audience, and I was sort of going, you know, what's going on? Uh, I'm not really connecting. And uh, I realized that I just started to name this reality in the beginning that some of the stuff we're going to discover as we walk through these verses, it's heavy. And it's tough, and it's big, and that's okay. And that normally when Rich Sylvester gets up here, we like to laugh a little bit. And uh, we're still going to try to laugh a little bit, but we're also going to go, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And so if I acknowledge that, it'll help me, and hopefully it'll help you as we dive in to Genesis chapter 4 and the second half of the story of Cain. So I'm excited to do that with you this morning. But first, got to think a little bit about my childhood as I read this passage Uh, When I was a kid, I loved um, Lego castle sets. You know, now back then, Lego didn't have nearly as many varieties as it does today. It's sort of, you know, daunting to go to Target and pick out Legos. Because there's Star Wars Legos, City Legos, Castle Legos, Chima Legos. You name it, there's Legos. There's like Disney Legos. Legos, right? But I, as a kid, I loved Castle Legos. I loved the drawbridges and the portcullis and the battering ram and, uh, you know, everything that had to do with knights and castles. And I wanted to collect every single one. My grandparents said, hey, what do you want for your birthday? Castle Lego set. If my grandmother, grandmother said, what can I get you for Christmas? Castle Lego set. I can still remember to this day before we had Targets and Walmarts, there was a store in town called Fox and Sutherland's that's been put out of business by Walmarts and Targets. But anyway, I can remember going to that aisle in that store and picking up the Lego boxes and shaking them and looking at the pictures and just dreaming about what castle Legos I could get next. Because I would set those castle Legos up and I would take over my mom's living room. And I would have empires. And I would have... Kings and castles over here and kings and castles over here. And I would decide who battled who and I would decide who won and what the rules of engagement were because this was my kingdom, the kingdom of rich. And I got to be lord and king in that kingdom. Parents' living room, it didn't matter what their rules were because in that kingdom that guy I created, it was my rules my way. And this week as I was reading the second half of Genesis chapter 4 and studying it and studying it, I realized that Cain is playing with Legos. That Cain is building a kingdom for himself. That Cain's desire is to have a place where it's his rule's His way, where he can decide who comes and who goes, who wins and who loses, who gets the treasure and whose keep gets burned to the ground. Cain is playing with Legos. We see that right away in verse 17, where we read that Cain builds a city. Now, as a 21st century reader, we see that and we go, Cain builds a city, and all of a sudden we have tons of questions. Where'd all the people come from? A city? I mean, it was Adam and Eve. They had a couple kids, and now Cain's got a city? Lots of questions get asked. Who'd Cain marry? How many people do they have? A city seems like 100,000 people, but, you know, we're not there yet. What's going on? And sometimes when we come to a great narrative text in Scripture, there's a lot of questions we have that the text doesn't answer, and there's some great questions we can have that the text does answer. What I'd like to say today is that the text doesn't answer where do all the people come from. And it never tells us where does Cain's wife come from. And we can think about those things. But today, if we want to really hear the truth that I think this passage is telling us, then we need to ask some different questions. And we need to look at some of these words a little differently. Like city. When we look at city, we go, okay, New York, right? I'm a New Yorker, I think skyscrapers, people, subways, taxicabs, busyness, city. Well, this Hebrew word for city isn't quite that encompassing. I mean, it could be used to name a giant city. But really, when we get to the heart of this Hebrew word city, just think walls. Think about an area that's got walls around it. It doesn't have to be a big area. It doesn't even have to have a lot of people. It's just a little mini kingdom. A Lego set. A place where someone puts walls up and claims the ground and says, I'm king of this ground. Right? When I think of city, you know, I I think of New York, but I also think of Jamestown settlement. I mean, my boys and I, we get on our bikes a lot. We ride to Jamestown or historic Jamestown Island, and we love these settlements. And what is it? It's just a bunch of wooden timbers formed in a wall, and inside that area, I mean, the king of England ruled, even though he was across the ocean. That it was English rule in there, English law, English way. Outside that, well, it wasn't the kingdom of England. It was this new, scary land. And Cain, in essence, makes a Jamestown. He just makes a fort. It's not a giant city. It's just a place with walls. Because once he puts walls up, Cain can say, Whatever I do in here, I decide. I'm the king of this kingdom. I say who comes and who goes. I can close the gates on them and open the gates for them. And when there's a dispute in my kingdom, I can play judge and jury. And I can decide who's right and who's wrong and what the punishment is. Cain's playing with Legos. And he's building a kingdom. A kingdom where he is in charge. This morning as we look at this passage, I think... The writer of Genesis wants to ask us that question too, though. The writer wants to ask us, where are we building kingdoms in our life? Where are we setting up walls in our life and saying, God, you may be God out there, but you're not God in here. I am. And so as we look at this city, as we look at this kingdom today, as we examine Cain's kingdom, let's see how we can apply what we learn to our own lives as well. The first thing we learn about Cain's kingdom is that Cain's kingdom is a kingdom of protest. That Cain is anchoring himself in this place out of protest to God and saying, this piece of land is mine, not yours. Let's see how we got there. Last week we preached on the first half of Genesis chapter 4. And uh, an exciting passage for sure. We talked a lot about sin last week. But we didn't look at every detail in chapter 4. And so I want to look at a few today. I want to look at God's mercy in the beginning part of chapter 4 towards Cain. See Cain, as we looked at last week, Cain and Abel brought their offerings to God. And God looked at Abel's offering and said, that's good. And God looked at Cain's offering and said... That's no good. And last week we looked at this is really a heart issue. It wasn't a matter whether one was meat or one was vegetables. It had to do with Cain's heart. And Abel's heart was fully surrendered to God and Cain's was not. We read in Genesis that Cain got angry, depressed. And God shows up in the first part of chapter 4 in verse 6. And he asks Cain a question. He says... Why are you angry? Well, whenever God asks us a question, I think it's important that we listen to the question because God already knows the answer. Really, God isn't saying to Cain, I want to know why you're angry. God's saying to Cain, do you know why you're angry? Because I want you to know why you're angry right now. I want you to know what's going on in your heart. What a point of God's mercy that he says Cain Take some time here, buddy. Look at your heart. Examine yourself. Well, Cain doesn't take advantage of that opportunity. What does he do? He goes and kills his brother. We learned about that last week. But then God comes to Cain again in verse 9. And he asks him another question. He says, hey, Cain, where's your brother Abel? Now, once again, God clearly knows the answer to this. God clearly knows that Cain has butchered Abel, buried him in the ground, his blood has been shed and Cain did it. But God asks him, Where is your brother Abel? I thought about this and I thought, I do this as a parent a lot. How many of you can remember when you had a kid that liked to color on walls? Right? Somewhere in like the two or three year old area, right? And that piece of paper that they're coloring on just gets so boring and they look to that wall and they think, That's a much nicer canvas, right? And you walk into a room as a parent, and you discover that there's blue marker on a wall. Then you look for your two-year-old or your three-year-old, and all of a sudden you see, oh, yep, there's blue marker on his hands, there's blue marker on his face, there's a blue marker in his hand. And you know, I know how that blue marker got on that wall. But you take a moment, right, and you get down at eye level with your kid, and you say, hey, buddy, can you tell me about this blue marker on the wall? You wait for a response. And when your son puts his hands up in the air that are covered in blue marker and goes, I have no idea where that came from. Well, you respond as a parent one way. But when that kid sticks up his hands, lowers his head, and starts to cry, and says, I'm sorry, Daddy, that I did that, you respond another way. It's God's act of mercy towards Cain giving him a chance to come clean, but Cain sticks up his hands covered in his brother's blood and says, well, I don't know where Abel is. And God gets angry, and God punishes Cain, and he says, Cain, I'm going to send you even farther east. And even though you're a farmer, I'm going to make it that that land will not produce food for you. Oh, in order to survive, you're going to have to wander all over that land to find your existence. And Cain, not out of repentance, but just out of anger, goes, Oh, that's too much for me. People are going to kill me. They're going to avenge my brother's blood. God, this is too much. And God shows mercy once again. And he puts a mark on Cain, a mark that says, Hey, people, leave Cain alone. I've got this covered. Once again, we don't know what that mark was. Was it a tattoo? Was it a giant sign that he looped around Cain's, you know, neck that said, "Uh, don't bother this man. I'll take care of him later. I don't know what the mark on Cain was. But in God's mercy, he put a mark on Cain and sent him into the wilderness protected and told him, wander to find your existence. And the first thing Cain did when he was supposed to wander was he built himself a city. In protest, he put his roots down, he built his walls, and he said, God, you may be God out there, but I'm God in here. You may set the rules of what's right and wrong out there, but I'm setting the rules of this place for me right here. I'm king. This is my kingdom, and I'm protesting your rule. Well, Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of Cain. That the kingdom of God is one of surrender. Jesus teaches us that if we want to gain our life, we'll lose it. And if we lose our life for his sake, we will find life. The kingdom of Cain is a protest, the kingdom of God is a surrender. And this morning, the author of Genesis is asking us, Where are you building a wall of protest in your life? Where are you surrendering to God in some areas and then building a wall in others and saying, God, You may be God out there, but I'm God right here. Your finances, your home, your time, your relationships. What are you claiming as your kingdom? And what are you surrendering to him? Cain's kingdom is a kingdom of protest. But Cain's kingdom is also a kingdom of provision... As we keep reading, we meet some of Cain's descendants. Names that I won't repeat because Abby did it so well already. But we meet a man named Lamech, and Lamech has three sons. And we'll say, Jabel, Jubal, Tubal. Something like that, right? Jabel, Jubal, Tubal. I like to say it real fast because it sounds really fun. It sounds like I'm playing a game with my kids. Jabel, Jubal, Tubal, Jabel, Jubal, Tubal. But these are all important names. You've got the father of raising livestock. You've got the father of arts who's making harps and flutes. And you've got the father of ironworks. I mean, they've figured out how to make things out of iron and bronze. Oh, Cain's descendants are becoming productive. They are providing for themselves. They don't need God anymore. They've said, we, if we need it, we can make it. You want music? We got music. You want metal? We make metal. You need meat? We make meat. And their kingdom becomes a place of provision. In fact, their names, they're all derivatives of the Hebrew word yabal, which means to produce. This is a kingdom of production. And in Cain's kingdom, they don't look for God for anything. They satisfy their needs. They are self-reliant. They look to themselves for provision. What we learn as Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God that the kingdom of God is very different than the kingdom of Cain. The kingdom of God calls us into places and opportunities that we are not equipped for. That we are not able to man up for ourselves. Where we have to surrender and say God I'm going to do it but I need your provision in it because I can't do this on my own. This week, as the staff and some of the volunteers headed to a leadership summit, I had the opportunity to ride with one of our children's ministry volunteers down to Virginia Beach and back for one of the day's conference. And uh, his name's Fletcher. He's my six-year-old Sunday school teacher, kindergarten teacher. And as I talked with Fletcher, he said that many years ago, when God sort of nudged him and said, hey, I want you to become a Sunday school teacher for kindergarten kids, he said, no way, He said, I I don't have it. I can't do it. I can't provide like that. I don't have the skill set, the knowledge. I'm not spiritually mature enough. I can't do this. God said, I want you to do it. And so Fletcher surrendered and said, I'll do it. And Fletcher was telling me that this year his first class, class of kindergartners are graduating from high school. My son, Wyatt, Gave his life to Jesus Christ this year in part because of Fletcher's influence in his life. That God's kingdom is not about providing for ourselves or being able to do all that we're asked to do on our own power. But God's kingdom is about yielding to God's provision and saying, God, if you want me to do it, I'll do it, but you got to show up. Cain's kingdom is about protest. Cain's kingdom is about self-provision. And Cain's kingdom is about power. Now here's where the text gets really uncomfortable. To be honest, we're going to read a little about this guy Lamech, and I don't like Lamech at all. He is bad news. So if you don't like him either, that's okay. Because I think he's horrible. What do we read about Lamech? Well, first, Lamech takes two brides, two wives... Man, he's already on a power trip. He's bragging to the community. Look at me. I got two wives. And what kind of relationship is having two wives? That's a power trip in itself. That's totally outside God's design. And then he does something even grosser, right? I put it together on one slide for you. Lamech sings a little song to his two wives. He says, hey, wives, listen to me. Wives of Lamech hear my words, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, Lamech is avenged 77 times. What's he doing? He's saying this. He's saying, ladies, listen up. If you wrong me, I'll kill you. And to prove it, he says, and the Hebrew says, I killed a boy for scratching me. Lamech is rising to power. Cain's kingdom is about taking power and pushing everybody else down. And he is disgusting. He says, wives, listen up. If you wrong me, you're going to get it. I'm the boss around here. God's kingdom is not like that at all. God's kingdom is about being a servant. God says, you want to be the greatest? Well, then try becoming the least. God says, you want to be first? How about being willing to be last? At our leadership summit this week, we listened to a speaker from Nigeria, Africa. He talked about leadership that is Christ-like. Leadership that is not about creating a power gap, but breaking the power gap. Leadership like Jesus' leadership that says... Don't, I don't want to know how successful I can be. I want to know how successful the people I'm leading can be. He retold the story of Jesus and Peter on the water, where Jesus was walking on the water, and Peter was in the boat, and Peter said, Hey, Jesus, can I walk on the water too? And in our power-hungry world of Cain's kingdom, maybe Jesus would say, Walk on water? No way. I walk on water. You stay in the boat. But Jesus said, Yeah. Yeah. Come on, walk on water with me. God promises that as we enter into his kingdom, that he gives us his spirit. He gives us his power. He gives us himself. Cain's kingdom is all about power. God's kingdom is all about service and surrender. Where do you put a kingdom of power in your life? In relationship with your spouse, with your employees, with your neighbors? Or do you live in God's kingdom where it's all about service? In Genesis chapter eleven, and the verse will come up on the screen, right before a bunch of people build the city in the Tower of Babel, they say to themselves, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Cain built a kingdom so he could make a name for himself. So he could have Rich's kingdom of Legos in his living room. But the author of Genesis does something remarkable in chapter 4. Brings us right back to Adam and Eve. We read in the end of Genesis chapter 4 that Adam lay with his wife again and she gave birth to a son named Seth. Saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. That Cain's kingdom was about making a name for himself, but God's kingdom is about glorifying Jesus. Today at 3 o'clock, we're going to celebrate the life of a saint that lived among us. His name was Dr. Jim Shaw. And uh, Jim led led an extraordinary life. And I thought about Jim's life today. I thought about uh, building kingdoms in our lives. I realized that Jim didn't build a kingdom for himself, but he lived in God's kingdom. Jim was a doctor, and he heard God's call in his life to to open up a medical center, a free medical center, where people could come get free, outstanding medical care. And as he tells his testimony, he said, the first night they opened up in the back of a church, and nobody showed up. In fact, it was months before a patient even showed up. But he kept going, relying on God's provision. And today, the Lackey Free Medical Clinic serves thousands of patients Patients that otherwise wouldn't receive top-notch medical care. Jim didn't build a kingdom of protest. Jim didn't build a kingdom of his provision. King, uh, um, Dr. Shaw did not build a kingdom that was about his name, but built a kingdom that was about honoring God. Eventually, my mom walked into the living room and said, Rich, we're having company tonight. you got to tear down all your Legos. you got to put all these buildings away. you got to put your kingdoms in the closet. The author of Genesis is asking us today, where are you building kingdoms in your life? And are you willing to tear down those kingdoms and to walk in God's kingdom and to proclaim his name So that he can do awesome and mighty things in and through.